Even the most lovely places can harbor ghostly pasts. The haunting tales of the Springer Opera House in Columbus, Georgia, have spanned many years. Who roams the halls with the guests before performances? Who spooks the crew behind the stage? And who's the girl on the balcony? I'm Vanessa K. Eccles, and this is Fabled. The night I saw her would haunt me forever. It was already an extraordinary evening. The ornate design on the ceiling drew my gaze, the pattern looking like a kind of sophisticated upholstery. The heavy red curtains were pulled back and billowing at the floor, exposing an elegant lace sheer beneath. High heels of smartly dressed ladies click-clacked across the marble floor. I glanced down at my dress, underwhelmed at how I measured up. Since I worked from home, I didn't have many dressy clothes in my closet. Nevertheless, my simple black dress and tights were the best I had and would have to do. Still, I couldn't help but be excited about the production of Les Miserables. My husband, James, had been so kind to surprise me with tickets. I glanced over at him, his dark hair brushed back, looking snazzy in a royal blue tie and gray button-up, neatly tucked into his black trousers. Thank you for this, I told him, linking my arm in his. He held a smile as we found our floor seats. The inside of the theater was grand, to be sure. Beautiful balconies lined either side of the stage. We nestled into our seats as the lights dimmed and the show began. It was an extraordinary production. Everything from the costumes to the voices to the props was near perfection. It far surpassed my expectations. We walked around a bit to stretch our legs during intermission, sharing our favorite moments of the show so far. When we returned to our seats, a young girl in one of the upstairs balconies caught my eye. Her bright blue dress was striking with its wide white collar, with white buttons aligning the sleeves up her slender arms. She was standing beside the railing, scanning the audience below. Until her eyes fell on mine. I smiled reflexively, but her expression remained emotionless. Straight-mouthed, eyes downcast. She then climbed the pony wall, her white stockings peeked from beneath her long dress, black patent shoes dangling over the edge. I held my breath, hoping that the couple talking in the background would stop her. She looked over her shoulder, then focused on me again. And she jumped, her small frame limp on the way down. 
I screamed and jumped from my seat. Without thought, I rushed toward the other side of the theater, where I knew I'd find her. But people were everywhere, standing, talking, laughing. I pushed my way past them until I was staring at the place I knew she would have landed. A young woman with dark locks pulled into a French twist stared up at me from her seat with a confused look on her face. I tried to catch my breath. There was a, a girl, I began to say when James appeared at my side. What's the matter? he asked, with the same confused expression. I saw a girl, I began, glancing up at the balcony above. The couple had returned to their seats and were exchanging oblivious smiles. I saw a girl fall from the balcony. My words had lost their life now, as I started to second-guess my own eyes. What? he asked, searching the floor and clearly seeing what I saw. Nothing. No little girl. I'm sorry, I must have been mistaken. I told the woman and held on to James's arm tight as we returned to our seats. During the rest of the production, I kept glancing back at the balcony, but I never saw her again. When we were leaving, a young man walking in front of us said to his friend, You know this place is haunted, right? I sucked in a breath as I realized just how true that was. Columbus rests on the Alabama-Georgia border, separated by the Chattahoochee River. It's the third largest city in Georgia. It was named after the Spanish explorer, Christopher Columbus, because of the river's access to the sea. It served as a port for cotton crops, and in the 1850s grew even more with the arrival of the railroad. Columbus is also known as the Fountain City. Just as the lovely fountains pour out, so too did travelers and settlers arriving from all over. This, combined with Native American folklore, gave Columbus rich history, and fascinating stories. Columbus was once home to the Muscogee Creeks, and they had a thriving community in and around the area. They also had rich folklore. They told tales like how rabbit fooled wolf. This was one of the ones I found really interesting. In the story, a rabbit and wolf visit two beautiful young girls and the rabbit becomes jealous that the girls are giving Wolf all their attention. So Rabbit tells one of the girls that Wolf is his old horse. She didn't believe him, so Rabbit told her she would see him riding Wolf tomorrow. And the next morning, when it was time to visit the girls again, Rabbit told Wolf that he'd felt sick all night and would need a ride there. After convincing Wolf to take him, he also went on to tell him he'd be much more comfortable if he'd wear a saddle and a bridle too, claiming he didn't think he could hold on otherwise. He even went on to tell the Wolf that he should use spurs because that would make the trip even more fun. 
Rabbit had promised to take all of this off once they arrived to the girl's home, but when they got there, that didn't happen. Instead, Rabbit tied him up, went to talk to the girls, and promised to come back for Wolf later. Rabbit enjoyed spending time with the girls without the distraction of the wolf. He knew Wolf would be very angry for what he'd done, so knowing how much Wolf feared soldiers, he began making a drum sound. And Rabbit then ran outside, telling Wolf the soldiers were coming for him. Wolf ran off as soon as he untied him. And one day, Rabbit was picking peaches, and Wolf saw him, and he vowed to get even with Rabbit once and for all. But again, Rabbit convinced Wolf someone was after him. Rabbit even managed to trick him a third time, telling him if he'd hold up a tree, he'd be compensated with some hog meat. The last straw was when Rabbit tied Wolf's tail to a pony's, and Wolf was dragged by the pony. Rabbit knew he'd gone too far this time, so he had to go into hiding for a very, very long time. Columbus played an essential part in the Civil War, providing pivotal industry for the Confederacy. It manufactured supplies for Confederate uniforms, cannons, and firearms, to name a few. Not having been informed of Lee's surrender and President Abraham Lincoln's assassination, on Easter Sunday, April 16, 1865, Union troops attacked the city in the Battle of Columbus, burning many of the industrial buildings. After the Civil War ended, the city began reconstruction and began to prosper once more. During this time, the Springer Opera House was built. The Springer Opera House sits at 103 10th Street in downtown, or as the locals call it, Uptown Columbus, a short distance from the breathtaking view of the Chattahoochee River. The Springer first opened on February 21, 1871, and was named the State Theater by Governor Jimmy Carter on its 100th anniversary. It's a truly stunning place with tall Corinthian columns and stained glass windows, a picturesque piece of late 19th century architecture. The Opera House is breathtaking, truly. When we first visited there several years ago, we were floored by the quality of the production too, just as good as Broadway in our opinion. The ornate trimmings, grand staircases, and elaborate balconies are lovely and a pure delight to see. One thing was apparent. The people who had this place built believed in the magic of theater. It's a place that looks very posh, but is somehow warm and welcoming too. Frank Joseph Springer immigrated from Europe before the Civil War and settled in Columbus. He'd made his fortune in the grocery business. He loved theater and made it his mission to open a theater in the heart of downtown Columbus. It was primarily his contributions that led to the birth of the Springer Opera House. One of the most notable figures ever to grace the Springer stage was Edwin Booth, John Wilkes Booth's older brother, famous for his action at another theater entirely. Edwin and John were children of another prominent actor, Junius Brutus Booth. The two were rivals and opposites in many ways. Edwin, for example, was a Unionist, while John was a Confederate. In 
Edwin was a renowned and respected actor in his time, considered by many theatrical historians as the 19th century's greatest American actor. Many believe he played the best Prince Hamlet ever. Another famous figure on Springer stage was Lily Langtree, also known as the Jersey Lily. She was a British-American actress, socialite, and producer. She was born on the Isle of Jersey and was one of seven children and the only girl. Her father was a reverend, but was better known as a ladies' man. He fathered several illegitimate children, which prompted Lily's mother to leave him in 1880. She married Irish landowner Edward Langtree in 1874. She was made popular for her big personality and her notorious relationships with noblemen like the Prince of Wales and the Earl of Shrewsbury. Because of these affairs, she became known as the Royal Mistress. It's believed her daughter was conceived with another of her beaux, Arthur Jones. Lily was close friends with the poet and playwright Oscar Wilde, and by 1879, she needed money. And that's when Wilde suggested she try the stage, thus prompting her theater career. After touring the UK, performing in several plays, she began to tour in the United States. And she and Oscar Wilde performed at the Springer Opera House. Lily would divorce her husband in 1897 and purchase land in California. She continued to have romantic relationships and later remarried. She and her husband lived apart, though, and she died of pneumonia in 1929 at the age of 75. Just a little side note here. Several years ago, when I lived in West Texas, we visited a small town called Langtree. There I had the pleasure of meeting the late Jack Skiles and his lovely wife. They had a wonderful private museum of Native American artifacts, and he taught us what an atlatl was, and we practiced using it in his front yard. His wife made us a pie, and we enjoyed a long afternoon of conversation. Of all our time in West Texas, visiting the two of them on their ranch was one of the most memorable days we had there. He told us the story of how Langtree received its name. Um, he was the author of a book called Judge Roy Bean Country, and he had been the Judge Roy Bean Visitor Center's first manager, he seemed to be a great lover of history and was a natural storyteller, and he shared how the town was founded by George Langtree, an engineer and supervisor of the Chinese immigrants who built the railroad in the late 1800s in that area. Judge Roy Bean arrived soon thereafter and had built a saloon named the Jersey Lily, after the famous British actress Lily Langtree, which was of no relation to George Langtree. I had never heard of Lily Langtree back then, and yet here I am telling you about her now. It's stories like this and events like this that reminds me that there are strange connections you stumble across in life. Kind of makes things extra fun. But back to the Springer. Many prominent people cross the Springer stage, from choreographers, actors, dancers, to politicians. Even Franklin D. Roosevelt, the 32nd President of the United States, delivered speeches there. The Opera House has been renovated twice and survived a tornado in 2009. 
I lived in Columbus for a few years, and I never heard about the ghostly encounters people experienced at the theater. But I can certainly see the allure. Such a stately, elegant place would make for an interesting haunt. There have been rumors that a helpful designer hovers in the costume room, hoping to lend a hand when needed. There have been tales of cold spots. In some rooms, all the items must be kept exactly where they are, or the spirits will move them back when no one's looking. According to Faith Seraphin in the book Haunted Columbus, Georgia, a New York couple was preparing for a performance when the woman was tapped on the shoulder. Her husband said it wasn't him who tapped her. Could it have been someone else who cued her on stage? The Springer has been home to ghosts since the beginning, it seems. One of the stories circulated is that of a young girl who fell to her death from one of the upstairs balconies. According to an article by the Travel Channel, an actress named Jenny Marshall was performing in The Wizard of Oz and had a sudden, overwhelming feeling of fear when she was in her dressing room one night. She was admiring the Wizard of Oz figurines she'd been gifted when the lights began flickering and the whole place went black. The air turned to ice. She was paralyzed with horror. When the lights came back on, all the figurines had been knocked over except for one. The Wicked Witch of the West stood ominously staring back at her. It's believed that the ghost of Edwin Booth still haunts the opera house as well. There's a legend that says he'll stay there until Hamlet, a role he played there in 1870, graces the Springer stage again. By most accounts, he's playful, especially with the female crew and guests, and he's known to frequent the prop room. I'm still amazed at how well-preserved and beautiful the Springer is. It's truly a local treasure. Even though many city officials and people who work at the Springer don't speak of the otherworldly happenings there, it wouldn't surprise me if some of these colorful characters decided to return there, enjoying the shows and perhaps even making their own special appearances now and then. Either way, the Springer Opera House is a place to see if you're ever in Columbus. The productions are wonderful, and the place is exquisite. It's a gem with a marvelous past. Fabled is produced by me, Vanessa K. Eccles, with music by Kevin McLeod. Fabled is an independent podcast, and if you'd like to support the show please visit fablecollective.com or check us out on Patreon. Until next time, thank you for listening.